Thank you. It's good to be with all of you today, and I want to give a special thanks to Mary, Marty, and Kristen for going above and beyond the call of duty to make the technology of today happen. Um, it's good to be with you. For most of their lives, my grandparents were members of St. Casimir's Catholic Church, the Lithuanian parish in their city. As a young child, I loved going to church with my grandmother during the holidays. It was a magical place, tall ceilings that reach for the sky, pale blue walls tinged with gold, stained glass windows rich in color, bronze depictions of biblical stories, the captions printed in a language I could not read, giant statues of Mary, Joseph, and the saints. I was told that these statues came all the way from the old country. I didn't know where that was exactly, but I was enthralled by the statues and curious about the story of how they came to be part of St. Casimir's. Going to church was a special occasion, a time to be with somebody that I loved and to marvel at the dramatic beauty of her house of worship. Things changed when, for about two years, my family moved in with my grandparents so my parents could save money for our first home. Suddenly, I was going to church every week. And for reasons I didn't understand at the time, I went to church, but my parents did not. And unlike the past holiday visits to St. Casimir's, I didn't sit with my grandmother studying the beauty of the statues, but went to religious education classes called CCD. I do remember that we were getting ready for our First Communion. And one lesson towards this rite of passage was participating in confession for the first time. My classmates and I lined up by the door of the confession booth. It reminded me of when I stood in line to go to the lunchroom at school. I was toward the back of the line, which was helpful. I had some time to think about what I had done recently and what I could confess. Entering the booth, I noticed a metal grate between me and the priest. It reminded me of the vent of my bedroom floor. Through the spaces in the metal, I could see that it was Father Spencer and not the other priest who was to hear my confession. I thought, if I can see him, can't he see me? In the end, my confession was short and tentative. Sometimes I tell lies, I said. The priest gave me a number of prayers to say for absolution. I left the booth. I prayed and eventually class finished, and I went home. My first Catholic confession was also my last. When my family and I moved one town over, I stopped going to church. And in time, I began to look for inspiration outside of the Catholic tradition. I began to see clergy as human beings, not as manifestations of God on earth. I began to understand prayer as a practice of clarity and comfort, not penance. And, borrowing language from the 12-step traditions, I began to understand confession, admitting to ourselves, to another human being, and to a higher power of our understanding, our shortcomings, as a liberating experience of truth-telling, not as an ongoing religious responsibility in order to live free of sin. And as a person who, like everyone, has thoughts, feelings, experiences, and past deeds that I don't share freely, I've also come to understand truth-telling as something beyond articulating our faults, but also giving voice to the full experience of our humanity. Thinking back to my one and only Catholic confession, I wish I had shared other secrets with Father Spencer, of how much I missed my friends from my old school, of how lonely I felt, 
of how my parents hardly ever laughed anymore living with my grandparents. I was a scared, confused, and sad little girl at that time. There was so much weighing on my heart. To dwell only on my faults in the brief time I had with my minister stopped me from having the conversation I really needed to have. These honest, soulful conversations about the truth of our lives and souls are at the heart of the post-secret project. Many Sunday mornings, I visit the post-secret blog to read the new collection of Sunday secrets, handpicked by a local man, Frank Warren, out of the hundreds he receives each week. The post-secret project began when Frank Warren went to a street corner in Washington, D.C., and began handing out postcards, blank on one side and pre-printed with his address on the other. He asked these complete strangers to mail him a secret, with the caveats that these secrets had to be true, and that they could not have been revealed before. Frank was amazed at the secrets that people sent him, but even more surprising was the fact that once the project finished, he kept getting postcard secrets from places all over the United States and from different countries. Word had spread that there was a man in Germantown, Maryland collecting secrets, and people responded with their stories to tell. Hence, the post-secret project was reborn and has led to multiple anthologies of secrets. I brought some of the post-secret books to share with you today, to public events, and to an online post-secret community. These post-secret cards are aesthetically beautiful, emotionally compelling, and often brave affirmations of the human spirit. Reading these secrets each week, my own life experience that either mirrors or counters the content of each card grows in meaning. In preparation for a worship service that I led at Cedar Lane about post-secret, I wrote to Frank Warren and asked permission to use some of the secrets in worship. To my delight, Frank and his family came to church one Sunday at Cedar Lane. In a conversation after the service, he invited me to join a few others in visiting post-secret central. My visit at Frank's home, where we looked through some of the secrets Frank received that week. The collection on his dining room table reflects what he received in three days' time. From there, we went to the post-secret office, where the secrets are stored and protected. An important artifact of the post-secret office is Frank's old mailbox, which he had to upgrade to supersize once the postcards began coming in earnest. As Frank was interviewed, I took this photo of a man and his collected secrets. As a follower of Postsecret and a visitor to Postsecret Central, I've come to understand these postcards as simple admissions. There is an elegant brevity to the images and texts that tells so much in such little space. Here are some of my favorites from Frank's collection and from some of the secrets that members of Cedar Lane mailed to me. I still can't grasp the concept that I won't live forever. I despise my coworker. I take candy from her candy bowl, and I lick it, and then I put it back in the bowl. <laughs> I still believe my childhood bear is real. I am in college. I still talk to her when no one else is in the room. I am way too old to have crushes on movie stars, but I do. Subconsciously, I constantly narrate my life in my head in third person in a British accent. <laughs> I cheated on a math test in the third grade. 
I love my cancer patients. They are the only people I know that don't blather endlessly about real estate. <laughs> it bugs me that my liberal friends think I'm a bad person because I vote Republican. And this beautifully honest one from the congregation, I am terrified of death, and I don't feel like Cedar Lane has helped me overcome it. I think about dying all the time. Demonstrating the inspiration and creativity of those that mail in secrets, Frank receives these simple admissions not only through postcards, but also through other media, x-rays, a banana, sonograms, a one-pound bag of coffee. Unfortunately, I have no banana secrets to share with you today. Secrets about feelings of sadness, fear, or despair often tell a more complex, painful story. I just feel so invisible and alone. Staying in the closet still feels easier than breaking my mother's heart. Everyone in my life thinks I'm an amazing wife, mother, and community member, but often I feel overwhelmed and like I'm a complete failure. One can see that this statement is punctuated with a sad face. However, there's an interesting commentary on the post-secret process in a postscript. It feels good to share this, punctuated with a happy face. I can't remember life before depression. I often wonder if life is easier for other people or they're just better at faking it. I've been depressed several times in my adult life. I told my husband each time, but he didn't believe me. He's not a bad person. He just doesn't know what to do with this information. One aspect of the post-secret project makes it more than an artistic social experiment, but a ministry. The project's attention and financial support to suicide prevention. In Frank Warren's words, suicide is America's secret. While Frank has had a number of opportunities to increase his own wealth through, th wealth through the post-secret project, he has consistently dedicated income to the Kristen Brooks Hope Center, a suicide prevention hotline. When the Hope Center suddenly lost funding, a post-secret appeal generated thousands of dollars and kept the agency's good work going. The social networking site MySpace granted the post-secret blog its Impact Award. The award came with a grant of $10,000, which Frank asked to be given directly to the Hope Center. The post-secret project has become both a forum through which individuals can heal by sharing their secrets, and also a way to connect to resources that may save lives. The website for the Kristen Brooks Hope Center is printed in your program. A number of secrets speak to spiritual matters. I care more about Dumbledore than I do about the Pope. Here is one reflecting my own faith tradition, printed next to an image of the Unitarian Universalist flaming chalice. Every Sunday morning during the time for candles of joy and sorrow, I light a candle in silence for my mom, whose father died at Christmas last year. She sees me do this, and she doesn't know that it's for her. You know the God you don't believe in? I pray to him every night before I go to bed for you. I hope you find what you're looking for. When I get distracted by God's grace and beauty, I end up driving in the middle of the road when no one's around. I went to a costume party dressed in the New Testament despite my fundamentalist mother. <laughs> I tried for so long to believe in their God. One can see the post office barcode in the front of this postcard, perhaps obscuring some additional text. 
Frank is intentional about leaving these codes on the cards as they are marks of the secret's journey to his mailbox. Not everyone in the post-secret community is pleased with this decision. And one of my absolute favorites, I want to be a Unitarian Universalist, but I don't know how God will take it. <laughs> when Frank came to Cedar Lane, I introduced him to a Cedar Lane member who had seen a collection of post-secret spiritual secrets at the American Visionary Arts Museum in Baltimore. My congregant was so inspired by the exhibit that he bought Cedar Lane a post-secret book. In that conversation, our member named this Unitarian Universalist postcard and made it clear that this was not one of his absolute favorites. It hurt to read that, he said. In response, Frank affirmed what he sees in many of the secrets he receives, an ambivalence that paradoxically may lead to resolution. Because we don't know who sent this card, we don't know if the author has found their way to a Unitarian Universalist community. But it suggests the possibility that through articulating this internal conflict, they feel freer to move forward in one direction or another. One lesson I have learned from Post Secret is that some of our most carefully kept secrets are experiences of courage, joy, and wonder. My chronic illness has taught me patience. Time never stops for anyone, and neither does life, so embrace every second you can. She's trying to save the world, and you know what? I think she just might do it. I'm quitting my job today. Life is too short to be unhappy. For the first time in my life, I am 100% happy with who I am. I am not afraid of death. As Post Secret has evolved into a collection of books, an online community, a series of live events, and a number of museum exhibits, some of the secrets are more like conversations between followers of Post Secret. Here is a secret about one of the secrets printed in a Post Secret book. Over a photo of the book, the author writes, I don't have the nerve to tell her which one is mine. This secret was sent after a post-secret event. The caption on the postcard suggests it came from a student at Kutztown College. I've hated it here for the past year because I don't fit in with anyone. After hearing my peers share their deepest secrets tonight, well, I don't feel so alone anymore. Here is a secret included in Sunday Secrets that became a marriage proposal from one post-secret follower to the other. With a photo of a diamond ring and the couple's cat for identification purposes, the author writes, that Saturday when you wondered where I was, well, I was getting your ring. It's in my pocket right now. From the email that followed, we know that she said yes. There is one secret that has had a direct impact on a member of the post-secret community, reflecting the vulnerability and ethical complexity inherent in a project like this one. It reads, it's okay to leave. This is your sign. Frank received an email from a woman saying that her fiance ended their relationship with no conversation or even a note, but by printing out this postcard as his explanation. She acknowledges that knowing what she knows now, their marriage wouldn't have lasted, but her experience reminds us of how deeply we affect others when we reveal our secrets. Post-Secret is a public conversation about the secrets we carry with us every day. It is simultaneously artistic, entertaining, cathartic, sobering, and inspiring, but it is also a spiritual endeavor 
speaking to the nature of human experience and how we engage with all that is greater than ourselves. Post-secret is not necessarily spiritual in the content of the secrets, but it is spiritual in how it reveals an important truth about human nature, the intense hunger many of us feel to share our secrets. This hunger is reflected in how one small short-term project in the Washington, D.C. area has grown into an international phenomenon and taken over Frank's life. The post-secret project is a mirror that, in Frank's words, reveals not how we keep secrets, but how secrets keep us, and how deeply many of us wish to change our relationship to our experiences in life. Here is one secret that, in a couple short lines, alludes to the healing that may take place when we admit to ourselves, to another person, and all that is greater than ourselves, the secrets that keep us. I am too afraid to write it. If anyone found out, I might have to face it. The post-secret project is spiritual in that it reveals the transformation that can take place when we go through the process of working through our fears, writing or drawing a secret, taking the steps to send it through the mail, and knowing that someone on the other end of this communication will receive, will touch, will read, and know our story. When I visited Post-Secret Central and looked through the secrets, I was given a stack of cards made in a post-secret project at a junior high school. It was hard reading these secrets from a community of young people, not only their stories of loneliness, despair, domestic violence, and betrayal, but also the awareness of how similar their lives were, of how much they silently suffered together. For efficiency and a little emotional distance, I was tempted to stop reading the cards. They were all the same anyway. But I realized that the authors of these cards expected someone to read their words, to see the uniqueness in their story. And so I read them all. Post-Secret teaches us an important lesson in lives where we are connected in so many more ways than before, in a human community that has become global in everyday communication. As Frank has observed, it seems that we feel more isolated than ever. Yet inherent in our secrets, underneath what we imagine as an individual and solitary experience of shame, regret, or private hope, is a shared emotion, a shared humanity that reminds us that we are not alone at all. Sometimes Frank receives two postcards on the same day, sent from different countries, printed in different languages, but telling the same story. When one person names their loneliness, the loneliness erodes and the connections become more clear. And the healing begun by post-secret isn't just individuals making sense of their lives by telling secrets, but a dynamic process of these truths touching other people. Frank Warren and others have spoken of how reading someone else's secret that reflects an experience in their own lives allows them to come to a fuller acceptance of themselves and their past. Viewing post-secret confessions can give us language for our own life experiences, courage from our fellow human beings, and an inspiration to also move forward towards positive change. At a post-secret event at James Madison University, Frank shared one powerful example of how secret telling has changed others for the better. A female college student struggled with anorexia. She became inspired to print statistics about the prevalence and dangers of eating disorders on a t-shirt and to wear it around campus. While she was reluctant to come out in this way, she not only received tremendous support from her community, but was able to share eating disorder resources and to begin many important conversations with her peers. 
It is likely that those conversations would not have happened if she had not told her secret in this way. In the end, the most powerful lesson that post-secret teaches us is empathy, as it reveals what lives beneath the surface of the people we encounter every day. Post-secret is a window into the heroism, the frailty, the resilience of the human spirit, which inevitably leads us to compassion. Or put another way, here is a secret I received from a Cedar Lane member, which fully articulates this platform on the space of a postcard. I have many secrets, but they can all be summed up below. You don't know what's going on in my life as you sit next to me in church. You may have an image of my life that is similar in some way to your life. I assure you, you are likely wrong. My life is completely different than yours, although my heart is the same. We don't know what is going on in each other's hearts, relationships, families. If we don't know, how can we be there for each other? Let's find a way to compa compassionately know one another. When I left Catholicism, I discovered Unitarian Universalism at the historic Arlington Street Church in Boston. Every Sunday in worship, we would recite the covenant of our congregation. Love is the spirit of this congregation, and service is our gift. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to speak our truths in love, and to help one another. Over the course of my life, I have experienced and come to deeply respect the religious endeavor of confession. While my religious tradition has changed and my understanding of confession has broadened beyond admission of wrongdoing, I have come to learn that at the heart of speaking our truths in love are the spiritual experiences of honesty, connection to a community greater than ourselves, and renewed empathy for one another. I thank Frank Warren and the many faces of Anonymous for making the post-secret project what it has become. Yet I imagine that this is just one way for us as individuals to move away from lives in isolation and to move towards communities of truth and mutual compassion. May we find the strength to no longer let our secrets keep us and to nurture a community and a world where it is safe to truly speak and hear the profound truths of our lives.